<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. I'm Mick Garris, and welcome once again to the fun size edition of Postmortem AMA, where you can ask me anything. And asking your questions is producer Joe Russo. Joe, good to see you. How are you weathering things? We are weathering things well. Uh, we actually just got our, our first vaccine recently and uh, hoping to get the second too. I know you're, you're starting to get out and about again. Yeah, I, congratulations. It is such a good feeling. I mean, I'm still masking up and being responsible, but actually went to a birthday party yesterday that was held outside at a cemetery. And <laughs> yes, and a handful of people within the genre, the filmmaking gang in LA. Uh, we're celebrating, and everybody except one, one who has been a guest on this show, um, has been vaccinated. So uh, we were able to actually see each other's faces. Other and I'm sure, that. I'm sure she will be soon. I don't think it has anything to do with anything other than no, time, no, definitely, timing. yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that's so that, that's great. And you went to the movies, and uh, I went to the movies and saw nobody, which is really terrific, especially in a movie theater. I can't wait to see it. I'm I'm so excited. Uh, shall we dive into some of these questions? Let's do it. All right. Hart Vig writes, Mick and Joe, outside of the Annabeth Gish episode, I haven't heard you talk about the X-Files much. Were you fans? What do you think it was about it that allowed it to tap into mainstream audiences so well? You know, I almost never saw the X-Files. That was a period of time where I never really watched network television. I realized how groundbreaking it was, and, and I worked with Morgan and Wong on a series with Steven Spielberg called The Others, right. where I was the supervising producer and they were the showrunners. Um, but I was not really well-versed in the show. I just rarely watched network TV, even though Fox was the renegade network at the time. And I was aware of the show, but it just, um, it, it just went uh, beneath my radar. You were busy at the time making the, the <laughs> stand and the shining. And <laughs> so it's I, true. I, that was the busiest period of my career as think, far as I being think you on have it. you have a good good excuse. I <laughs> I grew up on it, you know. I, I watched yeah. it with my mom and dad when I was a kid. Uh, so I, I have a very fond appreciation for it, though. I feel like there was so much of it and I watched it so young. It's hard for me to remember all the specific episodes like some of the fans can recall. But you know, I think the thing that made it work for mainstream audiences was just Mulder and Scully. I think people love those characters and love them together. You yeah, know? it was an anthology, but it had two continuing characters and some secondary characters who showed up so you weren't feeling at sea with every episode. And in those days, narrative series were not serialized. In these mm -hmm. days of, of streaming and binging, you could watch an episode of any TV show, not just an anthology TV show, and not necessarily need to have seen the episodes before it, leading up to it. 
because now they're all serialized. Exactly. I do have one little interesting Chris Carter story, if you want to hear it. Oh, I do. Uh, so, so when I was a development executive, very like when I was just, just transitioning into, I think it was a coordinator at the time, uh, we actually sold a TV show with Chris Carter to Showtime. Um, and it was, it was, oh my gosh, Mick, it's such a great script. I mean, he's a really, really terrific writer. And, uh, but it was really interesting because there were two competing horror shows at Showtime at that exact moment in time. I wonder what one of them was. <laughs> Penny Dreadful. Penny oh, Dreadful. okay. So. Uh, and yeah, no, it was no much, much past Masters of Horror. This was okay. 2011, 12, maybe. Yeah, um, boy, do I love Penny Dreadful. It's a great show, uh, but I've always been a little bitter because Showtime <laughs> picked it over ours. And they were like, well, we'll get to it the next development cycle. Oh, yeah. And the problem was our show was called Salem. And another show got picked up on another network called WGN. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so it basically killed the Chris Carter project. But man, Chris Carter, the creator of X Files, doing a Salem Witch Trial show. The script was just just phenomenal. So uh, uh, that was that was the closest I came to working with uh, with, with Chris Carter, which was pretty cool. Yeah, so, awesome. All right, Chris wants to know what is your favorite John Carpenter movie? Well, it has to be The Thing, right? I think I mean, it's going to be yeah. Everything he's done is worthwhile and terrific, but The Thing isn't like any other movie. Despite it being a remake of a previous film, it is iconic. Uh, there, the effects in it had never been done before. The storytelling, you know, every movie has to have a romantic interest and male and female counterplay. Uh, and this is just a bunch of guys on a scientific expedition. And it's so claustrophobic and so iconic. And Rob Bottin's makeup effects are so mind-blowing even to this day that um you know there's there's nothing like it and i think uh, of his many films i think it's john's masterpiece i couldn't agree more my favorite is halloween but i think the thing is his best movie by far oh halloween is great and you know i first met him when i was working on the fog doing publicity yep which I love, and uh, so many of the movies. Starman is a great movie that people Horrific. don't don't recognize. Even Carpenter isn't as convinced as I am that it's a terrific movie. Oh, it's so. it's great. I just rewatched it a couple of weeks ago and showed it to my wife for the first time, and and it's it just it's just wonderful. Uh, um, yeah, he really had an incredible run from Halloween through you know the early nineties. It, it just just amazing movies. Um, well, both of his masters of horror films were terrific. I mean, they are. He's, yeah. he's, he's a great filmmaker and I can't wait for him to tackle another one. All right. Lightning round. Matt Uh-oh. Kona wants to know your favorite less heralded film from the following directors, okay. William Friedkin. Well, Sorcerer is a masterpiece and it was not well regarded in its day and it was a total flop, but I think it is absolutely superb. Totally agree. Uh, Joe Dante. Well, matinee, it's been heralded, but it was not a successful movie in the theaters. It has had a better life on home video, but it's a terrific movie and it's really personal. You can feel how personal that movie is to Joe Dante. And, and I just love it. Piranha of course was pretty special too, but it was successful in its own way. 
Yeah, Matinee, I believe, is still streaming on Peacock if you need to check it out. It is oh. terrific. Nice. Um, John Landis. Into the Night. Oh. There's a movie not yeah. many people are even familiar with. It's Jeff Goldblum and, and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. And David Bowie is in it. There are all kinds of really interesting cameos in it. And it it it's really a terrific, like... It's almost his after hours, you know, the Scorsese film after hours. Yeah. Uh, Guillermo del Toro. The Devil's Backbone is my favorite of his films. I think it is, of his many masterpieces, it is uh, my favorite. And people know him for these giant films, Mm -hmm. big studio movies. But this was made in Spain. It's in Spanish. And it's a beautiful, heartbreaking, magical story. Yeah. It's fascinating because he makes movies about kids for adults. You know, they're not meant for kids and they're from a very adult perspective, but through a child's eyes. I, I agree. It was my, my introduction to Guillermo and, and mm. I just, I've, I've loved it ever since. Uh, Peter Medic. Well, Peter Medic, of course, The Changeling is one of the greatest ghost movies of all time. But he did a number of crime thrillers that were really terrific, too. And maybe my favorite was The Craze, K-R-A-Y-S. They were twin brothers who ran a crime syndicate in the UK back in the 60s. And his movie of that is so filled with vigor and energy and it just crackles and it moves at a dynamite pace. I, I got to check it out. I haven't seen it yet. Sounds you do. sounds awesome. Uh, yeah. Fina wants to know, what's your favorite episode of Amazing Stories? Well, that's two questions. Favorite episode of my own that I was involved in or just the 44 episodes? Um, Let's say both. Okay. Well, the favorite one of mine, uh, well, aside from the one I directed, <laughs> Life on Death Row, which I wrote the story for and Rocco Bannon wrote the teleplay uh, starred Patrick, Patrick Swayze. And that was one that um, was really special to me. It was the first time I directed something where I kind of had confidence in doing it as opposed to fuzz bucket, which was what the hell am I doing? Um, <laughs> but um, of the ones I wrote, uh, there were 10 that I wrote or co-wrote Go to the head of the classes way up there, a Robert Zemeckis one that they turned into an hour special. But The Amazing Fallsworth, I got an Edgar Award for that. Spielberg and I did. Spielberg came up with the story, but it's a very dark, very tense mystery thriller, which was not the norm for Amazing Stories, which was mostly family friendly. And uh, I'm very proud of that one. And of the ones I didn't do, I just, I love the mission, you know, the oh, yeah. mm-hmm. episode with Casey Shimasco and well, Kevin Costner is in yep. it. Uh, and Spielberg directed that one. Menno Mejes, who wrote um, the color purple screenplay. He wrote the uh, script for the mission and it's quite magical and preposterous and wonderful. Everything that, that Stephen does best. Yeah, everything uh, we love about him. Yep. Gotta be Zach asks, what portion of directing do you find most difficult? Well, 
all of it's challenging. Um, it, it's all difficult, but not in a way, difficult tends to have a negative connotation. And I'd rather use the word challenging. You know, the actual being, the production is the most difficult because you're trying to make your day every day, especially if you're working on a genre film where you have things like visual effects or practical effects or stunts or car chases, things like that. Um, and yet some of my favorite moments are, there's a scene in The Shining that's one act, it's eight minutes long, and it's just Rebecca de Mornay and Steven Weber talking about their marriage in front of a fireplace. And that took so much time and energy and there was no tool work going on. It was just lighting the emotions from different sides of the camera and painting them in emotional colors that added to their conversation in such important ways that that was difficult to create an eight minute act where nothing exciting happens, but it's thrilling because there's a tension between the two of these really terrific actors with a beautifully written scene that is all about what's happening to their marriage. And that was challenging, but those challenges are really fun. Even the tough stuff. And when you're running out of time and you're collapsing the number of setups you can shoot because you have to move on to a new location tomorrow, that's the worst. When the clock is ticking and running out, that's when you are on the verge of ulcers. You know, that can be ulcer inducing. But um, all of the process is challenging and exciting. The pre-production is so much fun. Post-production is so much fun. It just time is, is the biggest enemy. If you have enough time, and we rarely do, um, then there is no monkey on your back. But when the clock is ticking, as it always is, that's by far the most difficult aspect of, of directing film. Yeah, you can you can really feel every second in those moments. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, <clears throat> Alex wants to know, what was the best experience you had working with a director of photography? And what was the worst? What makes a great DP in your eyes? A great DP is someone who's able to interpret your ideas and make them better than you could do them. And that goes for every department head. You know, I'm not a DP. I know what I like, and I want him to give me more than what I like. And that has happened on many cases. I've never had a bad experience with a, a director of photography. Sometimes it doesn't fulfill what was in my head as, as much as I had hoped. But um, there's a director of photography named Shelley Johnson. And the first time we worked together was on The Shining. We almost worked together on something else before that, but he took a TV movie instead. Um, and we didn't really get to know each other until The Shining. And that was probably my best experience with a DP. I mean, they've all been really good and I've learned from all of them, but none more than Shelley. And then when I was hired to do the pilot for the others, uh, Steven Spielberg production, uh, I was hired to direct it, but he'd already hired a DP. And I said, Stephen, if I'm directing, 
I really would like to bring in my own DP, especially because I just worked with Shelley on The Shining and on Quicksilver Highway back to back. And we had a shorthand and he taught me so many things and his shots were always even better than what I imagined and sometimes in surprising ways. And that's the best when an actor or a collaborator with you brings something that surprises you in a really good way, not in a bad way. And Shelley was a magician in that way. So Stephen finally agreed to let me bring in Shelley and then he shot the entire series. Wow. And so people, I found out later that people would come into Stephen's office for meetings and he would say, here, let me show you the footage, uh, the dailies that this DP we found <laughs> shot, who's so great. And then he hired him to do Hidalgo and other movies, uh, Jurassic Park 3. And so I couldn't afford wow. Shelley anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh Nerds, Geeks, Sinks podcast. Uh, are there any movies you made where after you finished it, you thought, I could have done that better? Every one of them. Yeah, right? I was, uh, that was the answer I was going to say, too. <laughs> yeah, if, if, if you don't think you can do something better than what you did, then chances are you're a hack. <laughs> I mean, you have, to, you have to grow every time out. And, you know, judging the quality of one's films is up to somebody else, not myself. Uh, I can always try to extend my reach and reach higher and, and further. But, um, you know, all you can do is the best you can do under the circumstances given to you and try to go beyond expectations. But um, I always, you know, look at things and go, oh, I wish I had had this idea or I wish I'd done that or I wish so-and-so had been different and it, you especially know. when especially when you're editing and, and you yeah. have to piece these things together <laughs> but you also have to leave it behind mm -hmm. you know you can't agonize over something that has already been released yep you can learn from it if if you care to and and i always do um but you cannot just keep think keep going back to it and Let's do a director's cut. Let's do a producer's cut. Let's do this. Right. The movie is done. Move on to the next one and learn from what you may not have gotten right last time. So there's no four hours cut of sleepwalkers. <laughs> <laughs> not, not in my hands. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Speaking of Stephen King, uh, Mario wants to know, what do you think made the two Steves, Spielberg and King, gravitate toward you as a writer-director? Well, I think we have a similar point of view. Um, you know, King's books are very warm, very human, and fantastical, but the fantastical is, is wrapped in a very real world. And Spielberg's is the same way. And, and I think there's also a lot about splintered family in the works of Spielberg and King. You know, they're both a few, they're both the same age and they're both a few years older than I am, but you know, we come from a similar generation and, uh, we have a lot of the same touchstones, the Twilight Zone and Outer Limits and, and all of those things that we grew up with um, and comic books and, and movies and all of those things. But I, I think there's a humanity 
that they express in their work that I, I like to think is a big part of my work. And they both come from broken homes as I did. And so we're raised by our mothers rather than both parents after a certain age. And so I think the fractured family theme is something that comes up a lot in all of our work. And there's an isolationist to the central characters of a lot of our, our movies and books and television and all that stuff. So plus we really get along well, we come from similar generations and they're both really great, welcoming, encouraging people to someone who works with them, who we're collaborators. It's not like working for the boss, even though I call them both boss. Sure. Uh, whenever I, I speak too. to them, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they, they are very encouraging and, and we seem to have similar personalities in that regard. That's great. Uh, well, Mick, that you are off the slab. Uh, uh, thank you right. for another great episode. Well, thank you, Joe, and thanks for all the great questions. And so if you have questions for another Ask Mick Anything episode, contact Joe Russo Tweets, uh, Mick Garris PM uh, on Twitter and Instagram, and at the Postmortem with Mick Garris Facebook page. See you next time. All right. Thanks, Joe. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would let the world know about it by reviewing and rating it on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you have comments or questions for our Ask Mick Anything shows, send them to producer Joe at Joe Russo Tweets or to at Mick Garris PM on Instagram or Twitter or the Postmortem with Mick Garris Facebook page. That's at Mick Garris PM on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to see my vintage and recent video interviews, making of documentaries, and audiobooks of some of my short stories, go to my website, mickgarrisinterviews.com. Thanks for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every other Wednesday and subscribe on iTunes. Calling all coffee drinkers. If you've been trying to enhance your daily coffee routine, then Quest has got your back with their brand new iced coffees. Now available in two delightfully delicious flavors that'll be sure to add an extra pep in your step. Vanilla latte and mocha latte. Quest has been on a mission to help fuel you with protein-forward foods you'll love. Each bottle of Quest iced coffee is packed with 200 milligrams of caffeine, the same amount as two cups of regular coffee, plus 10 grams of protein per serving to help you supercharge your day. And did I mention that they only contain one gram of sugar? It might just be time to cheat on your iced coffee with iced coffee. Find Quest iced coffees on Amazon.com slash Quest Nutrition. That's Amazon.com slash Quest Nutrition.